And welcome to the Michigan Business Network. This is Business Media, Media Business with Tony Connolly. Thanks so much for joining us. We have on the show today probably one of the, the foremost experts when it comes to petroleum, gas prices, what's going on in the energy field, and that is Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddies.com. Patrick, how are you, my friend? Boy, Tony, it's been a long time. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thank you. It is. It has been a long time. Tell folks a little bit about uh, GasBuddy.com and what you guys do. Well, GasBuddy is a price tracker. We show people the price for gasoline all around them in an effort to save them money. We also track uh, ratings and reviews to make sure that if you need to find a pit stop uh, out of town on your way somewhere, that you don't pull into a station that looks like it's something out of a 1980 horror movie. So, uh... We do ratings and reviews and show you where the lowest prices are in town. All right. Well, uh, trying to find low prices in petroleum now is 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 not a good deal. Tell us uh, what you're seeing around the country gas price-wise. Yeah, as you mentioned, those, uh, those formerly low or cheap prices have basically vaporized here. And what we've been seeing is some of the highest gas prices nationally since 2014. The national average now is 339 a gallon. We're starting to see prices trickle down, but oil prices remain elevated at about $84 a barrel, and that has pulled the price of gasoline up significantly compared to where we were a year ago when demand was much lower. Why was demand lower a year ago? Well, you remember uh, that was prior to the vaccines, and we were just starting to contend with a massive surge in COVID cases, and you know, probably I think in, in much of Michigan, you start to see restaurants close down, bars, etc. And, and the same held true for much of the country. Everyone was going back into lockdown. So, so when we talk about gas prices, let's go uh, pre-COVID. What's the difference between now, as we're trying to break out of COVID, and, and, and what happened pre-COVID? Well, not pre-COVID. You know, uh, oil producers here in the U.S. were continuing to slowly increase production. The U.S. was the world's largest oil producer, turning out about 13.3, 13.2 to 3 million barrels of oil every day. Demand for, for uh, gasoline was fairly strong prior to COVID. Then the pandemic started, and we went on lockdown, and Americans parked their cars for two to four weeks. Businesses were closed, and, and it wasn't just a two to four week impact. Americans greatly reduced uh, their getting out of the house and driving, and so gasoline consumption plummeted. Early in the pandemic, oil prices went into negative territory for the first time ever. Uh, and as a result, uh, U.S. oil producers started to, to really curb production. Uh, there was a glut of crude oil last spring and summer that kept prices low. Uh, we uh, Going into late fall last year, prices were still in the low $2 range. Uh, and then vaccinations came along. Uh, the economy started to reopen in early 2021 and demand started to go up. Uh, but oil production continue to lag behind, and, and that's kind of where we are today, is that there's been a, a long-term imbalance. Demand has recovered, but oil supply has not. So, Patrick, I'm a little confused here because we have cut back on production here in the state, yet our president uh, recently asked uh, folks overseas who are the oil producers, whether it be Russia or over in the Middle East, to increase their production. Why would we do that as opposed to asking us at home to, to, to increase production? Well, you know, at home, the kind of big difference here between OPEC countries and the U.S. is that OPEC countries, 
Trump uh, calling for OPEC to cut production last year, which is what he did. Uh, yes, OPEC to cut production. OPEC is, is really much easier to deal with uh, than trying to, to force U.S. companies to do what you want, which, which there's really not much precedent for. So, Patrick, if production was increased, would that bring oil prices down? Oh, considerably. You know, and, and if we had oil, oil companies had opted to bring production back quicker, we would absolutely not be in this predicament to the degree we are. Now, it depends on how much they would have, you know, resumed output, but that's the story here. OPEC, they cut 10% of global oil production today. U.S. oil producers cut about 2 million barrels. So, there's still more to be gained by talking to OPEC because they basically cut oil production 10 million barrels a day compared to the U.S. Uh, cutting 2 million barrels. So there, there's more to be gained by talking to OPEC increasing production. Uh, but then, uh, again, like I said, the challenges of dealing with uh, with U.S. oil companies. The good news is it's starting to come back online. Oil companies could increase production quicker. Uh, but I, I think from what we've seen, oil companies are, are spending some of the profits not on, on increasing output, but on rewarding their shareholders via share buybacks and increased dividends. So that's more important than uh, the four and five and six dollars a gallon that some folks around the country are paying. You know, that's that's the way the oil companies prioritize it. Now that's where some of the politics uh, may come in, into play. Is that uh, oil companies um, are are rewarding their investors, and, and keep in mind the last couple of years. Some of the, the largest pension systems in the country, California and New York, uh, basically turned their backs to fossil fuels, divesting of them. Um, and, and certainly that hurts their ability to increase production. Now, of course, with oil prices being higher, um, because of, of the big, uh, the big uh, exodus from some of the pension systems, looks like oil companies are simply prioritizing, incentivizing shareholders to hold their stock now. So. Part of this is political, that is, California and New York said goodbye to fossil fuels companies, and ever since then, uh, they've been more interested in incentivizing shareholders and paying dividends. So, you know, oil companies could boost production, but um, this, is their, this is their strategy. Pat Patrick, how much does demand determine what output will be? Well, I mean, uh, demand is the leading factor, right? If demand goes up naturally, and in the past, OPEC will raise production to keep prices from spiraling out of control. It's in OPEC's best interest to charge as much as they can while not pushing the U.S. away from dependency on fossil fuels. Obviously, if you're an OPEC country, you don't want to push people away with higher oil prices so that they go to EVs. But it seems like this time around, there's a bit more of a captive audience. So OPEC has generally always uh, been sensible in that it will increase or decrease production to follow whatever the way demand goes, but this time around they're, they're kind of having it high. So demand is really the leading factor in OPEC policy and, and the way prices are moving. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy.com. When we come back, we're going to talk with Patrick about the media and how they cover uh, the petroleum industry. You're listening to Media Business with Tony Conley. This is the Michigan Business Network. Hi, this is Chris Holman. In this past year, the National Small Business Association and a small business owner myself, I understand when you run a business, you rely heavily on your computer network. Now, you cannot afford lost data, 
lost customer information, and that's why you should trust your technology needs to ASK. Contact ASK at 877-ASK-4ASK for a free audit and analysis of your technology needs. That's 877-ASK-4ASK. Or find them on the internet at www.justask.net. ASK, taking the hassle out of technology so that you can run your business. To the Michigan Business Network. This is Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy.com. Patrick, from your perspective, how do you think the media covers uh, your industry? You know, it, it, it's fascinating, uh, Tony. I don't, I don't think anyone has ever gone down this avenue of, of asking. Um, but it, I think this is the most interesting thing uh, is, is talking to different outlets that cover this and different journalists and doing interviews and, and picking up the feeling of, you know, the way they're covering it. And it's, it's fascinating the differences, you know, early on in, in, my, in my career when I started doing this, what, about 12 years ago, the differences today and how it's covered and how it's perceived and the political bias that's out there, uh, a lot has changed. But, um, you know, I would say most outlets um, want to report it the way that, that I have delivered it to them. And I would say very few of them have, in some cases, either twisted what I have said or maybe taken out of context. Um, I do think that most of the outlets I've talked to have covered it in what I would consider a fair way. Of course, a lot of people will uh, read those stories and believe that there's bias in there, but I, I think many of them do it uh, in a way that it, at least, you know, in the analyst brain that I have says it's, it's fair. What, uh, what's changed since when you first started in business as compared to now? That, that's a good question. I, you know, it, a lot has changed. I think the overall kind of backdrop, let, let's just say that over the last 10 years, it's become less socially acceptable to be part of, of fossil fuels companies. And there's obviously been a big stake uh, or a big change in attitude that fossil fuels companies are behind the pollution. And, you know, certainly the refineries emit pollution and there's, you know, uh, emissions up and down the scale, but at the end of it, um, you know, it's really the consumer that's demanding those products that oil companies deliver. And, and so there, there's been a lot of change in the environmental aspect of things and being a Michigander and obviously in Bridges Line 5, uh, up in the Mackinac Straits are, are, you know, it's a contentious battle, but um, I think a lot of it has become much more politically charged, especially in the last five or six years. Uh, has it increased in, in, in how uh, and how it's viewed politically? Almost everyone is, is on some sort of bias to the, to the right or to the left, um, and it depends on who's in the White House, right, what bias you get. From what you understand, and maybe asking you to go outside the bounds of, of what you do, but it seems like there there is a, a lot of pressure on the U.S. to make these changes when it when it comes to emissions and, and and use of petroleum products. And from what I understand, even if we did do all that many want us to do, unless you get the rest of the world on board, it's really not going to make much of a dent. What what do you know? Well, I mean, it, you know, I, I 
have to look at it from an independent. If you can't look and follow what others do. You should either lead or decide what's best mm-hmm. for your country. And I think it's I think it's environmentally responsible to move towards uh, to move towards you know different forms of energy. But I also think that there's no winner takes all. That is, you know, in rural areas of the UP where the grid may lack the capacity for charging stations, um, you may you may find it more necessary to have liquid fuels. Whereas a big city where traffic speeds may be slower and there may be more infrastructure, that's where you lean in on the EVs. I, I think there's room for several fuels here, uh, several forms of energy to, to, to take us to tomorrow. And I think it is sensible in some of these areas to move, you know, in a big city where there's a lot of congestion and there's millions of cars, it makes much more sense to have EVs because, um, you know, why not uh, lower pollution in, in, in mass in a big city? But Again, like if you go up to the UP, for example, um, the, there's just not the infrastructure, and it would be incredibly expensive to switch everyone. So I certainly think a future where we can be more environmentally friendly is good, and I think whatever, you know, it, it, common sense should prevail. Logic should prevail in these big cities, but we shouldn't just hang up and, and put all of our, our eggs in one basket. You know, what, what if something happens to the grid in the years ahead where, I just there's no way you can sustain all of this. I think I think to do so might be a little foolish. Do you think we in the media cover that well enough that we we give out all the facts and and, and really have people uh, take a look uh, at options and, and 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 what the results could be from those? Well, you know, it, it depends on the outlet, but there's only so much real estate. There's only so much time for a news piece to get every angle out to cover all of these you know, issues that, that may surround the main issue. So, you know, I don't think that there's a whole lot of airtime given to the fact that, you know, maybe EVs are not uh, not going to be 100% the answer. You know, that, that, that's something that is a little bit more in the weeds that you'll find in the industry they'll be talking about what role liquid fuels will play and what role EVs will. But it's not really part of the mainstream media. The mainstream media generally covers the issue that people care about, that is the price of fuel rising and, you know, the overall price of oil, but they don't necessarily talk about the, the issues feeding into it so much or how we should transition away from some of these fuels in some of these areas. You're listening to Media Business. I'm Tony Connolly. We're talking with Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy.com. In our final segment with Patrick, we're going to ask him what we in the media could do better to inform our listeners uh, more efficiently. You're listening to the Michigan Business Network. Air has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sanair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sanair.com. Welcome back to the Michigan Business Network. This is Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We've got one more segment with Patrick DeHaan from GasBuddy.com. Patrick, tell me, what's what's the most bizarre uh, thing that you've heard from the media in regards to, to, to reporting what you folks do, what, whether it's extremely accurate or whether it's uh, extremely inaccurate? 
Well, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of attempts. Um, you know, I've, I've been asked, that, you know, during some of these extreme weather events, um, what what the role of weather is. And I'm not a climatologist, I'm not a meteorologist, and, and to be pushed down that path, and, you know, what my take is, is, you know, and that's where some of the bias may come in, is, is I, I'm not an expert at what drives these weather events, only how the weather can affect what you may pay at the pump. But there's a lot of kind of, the kind of these offbeat questions, some of them could be political. And many times in the last few years, I have felt overall that the conversation has grown more political. That is, outlets on one side of the aisle maybe pushing, you just kind of feel for how the questions are framed. They could be pushed, you know, a certain path that, that is, you can sense that they want you to say it a certain way. But like I said, those tend to be far and few between. I, I think that overall, um, a lot of the obsession, a lot of the concern is, is overall because uh, Americans and what they pay is a significant expense. Um, but, you know, generally I, I do find that the media is, is, is accurate enough where I can stand behind pieces that I mentioned it. I rarely have to reach out and, and follow back up, but I, I do make sure that the words I say are presented in the way I say them. And I, I think... You know, everyone, everyone, I think, uh, puts the media under a microscope and they oftentimes seemingly insert their own bias and says, well, this media outlet can't be right because I believe something different or, you know, so on and so forth. It, it's become almost a battle between uh, the people, the reader, the listener being the expert and the media, the way they're reporting it, is it, not the expert. And, and it's because people want to fill a room with people they agree with and they have a hard time digesting what experts are actually saying, you know? Whether it be me on gas prices, that's my area of expertise, but um, I find people are very tempted to immediately discredit people that are experts in, in respective fields just because it may not align with their political beliefs. As you know, Patrick, as many folks know, we've got supply chain issues. There are tankers and freighters just waiting to offload uh, goods and, and and we can't we can't get them in the united states do we see the same thing uh, with petroleum well not so much now it it, it it could be possible that some of these ripple into other areas uh coal is not something that is generally shipped via like a pipeline like liquid fuels are um so bulk carriers that, that may carry some form of, of, of energy, and I, and I know we're suffering from this, or at least China is right now, a shortage of coal, um, there, there are some bottlenecks that, that, you know, can be a part of what you're seeing in, in the port of LA and Long Beach. There are oftentimes blending components that may end up going to some, uh, some ports in other areas that could get caught up. I know the price of butane, for example, is much higher this year because of some of the COVID-induced challenges. Um, and so in the normal year, we see a drop in the price of gasoline as we approach winter, but the main ingredient in that winter gasoline being butane, the price was higher this year because of some of the unexpected surges in demand and some of the supply chain bottlenecks. So um, there are absolutely ripple effects with some of the supply chain issues we're seeing, but I'm hopeful that in the months ahead, it, it does seem like it's getting a lot of attention and, and hopefully by early 2022, some of these issues will be sorted out. Patrick, through my experiences and talking with you, trying to predict uh, what gasoline uh, prices are going to be is, is very challenging. I know that you like to stay as seasonal as possible and throw in that caveat that 
if there's no issues with uh, refinery fires or anything like that. But uh, taking away negative aspects like that, where do you see prices uh, for the rest of this winter? You know, Tony, I think this is probably the most challenging time to predict during my career simply because there's so many COVID-induced uh, changes that could fluctuate. Who would have thought we would see these supply chain issues? Who would have thought that we would see Asia with energy shortages, a shortage of coal? So having said that, I think, you know, in the next 6 to 12 months, we probably will be dealing with prices that are higher than what we've seen in the preceding years. That is not necessarily higher than where they are today, but I would say that the next six to 12 months, prices will remain at a level that most Americans would, would call elevated. Uh, I don't think we'll get to record territory, uh, but you know, if there's war in the Middle East tomorrow, obviously that caveat would still apply, right? Unforeseeable events. But I do think we are in a period of time because of COVID that prices will remain elevated. But I think towards the end of 2022, or maybe even the middle of 2022, we will eventually see some relief, simply because oil companies are incentivized now to increase production, and by then, OPEC will have increased production back to pre-COVID levels. So I think relief is coming down the road, but obviously there's a whole lot of areas of the economy, right, that need to get back to normal from the challenges that COVID has brought on, and the oil sector is one of them. Final question for you, Patrick. What can we in the media do to better report what you do? <laughs> you know, I, I think there's so much intent interest out there in gas prices that it, it's become far more conversational uh, because uh, it, it's difficult for Americans to grasp why gas prices are, are moving the way they are. I'm actually very happy that the media has paid more attention uh, to something that, that affects so many Americans. I mean, everyone fills their car up. Um, just about the, or I should say the bulk of American drivers are paying over $1,000 a year to fill their tanks. So um, I think it's terrific that the media has covered it already. I mean, so many other issues that may affect daily lives are, are maybe less covered. But um, I think the media is giving a lot of attention to, to some of these issues that affect everyday Americans. Uh, we'd like to suggest to listeners, if you want to know the latest gas prices, if you want to know where to go and find a good uh, tank of gas, if you want to know anything about this industry, you make sure you go to GasBuddy.com and download that app. Patrick, so great to talk with you. Appreciate your time, sir. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Tony. That's Patrick Gahan from GasBuddy.com. This is Media Business with Tony Connolly. You're listening to the Michigan Business Network.